Well, hey, good morning. Well, I want to go ahead and just let you guys know if you haven't heard the news yet that yes, Julie and I are going to be leaving and uh, we have been called away to another church in Texas uh, in the Dallas area. And uh, I wanted to kind of explain to you kind of what had happened and how this all came about because I know many of you have y'all heard that, oh, God's called him away and all this. And let me just tell you now, God called me here four and a half years ago, and I knew it. I knew when Matt Serber called me up, I knew it. I mean, I knew, we both knew, you know, we knew when we walked in the building, everything, we knew everything. We knew from the very first time we met everybody, we said, this is where God wants us. We knew it. But I also knew back in June, uh, when we went on a mission trip, that God was saying it's time to go. And I didn't understand why, I didn't understand the circumstances at all, but I knew God was calling me to go be a lead pastor again. And to understand that, you have to understand that four and a half years ago, I said I will never be a lead pastor again. Uh, it's just the way God works out things. And, uh, but I will tell you, you know, me coming here and Julie and I, it has been, and I was talking to some folks this morning, this has been a healing for us. It really has been. You have been a major part of that, of that healing, because we have felt more love and more kindness from you. Uh, I'll just say it that way. We've felt a lot of love and kindness from you, and that has really, you know, so I, I'll just say it's probably your fault that we're leaving, okay, <laughs> because you loved us so much, and you, you know, and all this. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. Not really. Um, but we just, it was just one of those things where we knew that God was saying it's time to go. I'd, uh, I didn't know when it was going to happen. I figured it would take a, a long time. Because you know how God works. God says, go do this, and then it takes a long time. And within a month, a church was already calling me. And, I mean, it was just like, boom, all of a sudden. I'm Julie and I are going, wait a minute, we, what's going on? We don't understand what's happening right now. We don't want to leave Central right now. We don't want to—we're not—you know, we're not trying to—you know, we don't want to do this right now. And, and God said, no, you're going now. And this church pursued and pursued and pursued. And, you know, we're just like, well, it, you know, is God calling us to go there and all this stuff? And, and I struggled with it and I wrestled with it for quite some time. And, uh, and then it was just very evident that God was saying it's time to go. When a God opens up a door like that and you just, it's blaring in your face, you know it's time to go. And, uh, and I'll just tell you now, like we, you know, we put our house on the market last week uh, on a Friday. And we got two bids that day and a contract on the next, the very next day. So we knew God was going, okay, now you're just showing off now, you know, <laughs> now you're just, I've, you're just basically saying go, you know, so, well, let me pray, and we'll get started. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for the ministry here at Central. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the people. Thank you, Lord, that um, this place has been a blessing to Julie and I and our family, and Father, I pray, Lord, a continued blessing on this church, Father. A continued anointing, Lord, that, Lord, as the transition team and the elders and staff, as they work through things, Lord, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would just remove every obstacle out of the way, Lord, and that you would continue to use Central, Father, in a great way. Father, we love you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, seeing that Julie and I are going through this transition, and, and you know, one thing about Christianity that I find is that it, it, you go through these ups and downs in Christianity where things are good and, you know, and then sometimes things are hard and then it goes good again and it's hard again. And, and, and I've noticed that with 
Sometimes living the Christian life, it's sometimes hard to live it out, isn't it? And it's hard to live it out when there's turmoil. It's hard to live it out when there, things aren't going the way you want them to go. Uh, it's, it's, it's hard sometimes when you just, you're, you're, you're trying to follow God. You're trying to do what God wants you to do. And then there's all this stuff going on around you. And you're tied and you're struggling because you, you, you want to stay here and you want to stay there. And you don't know what to do next. And you're trying to figure this out. And it's just hard to live out. And I've noticed that we, Julie and I, even through the past couple of months, it's been kind of stressful on us a little bit. Very, very, uh, uh, we're just, you know, kind of just uh, about stuff. We're just not sure. And just, oh, what's this? And what are we supposed to do with that? And all these things. And what about our children? And what are they going to do? And, and, and they're going to go to these new schools and all this stuff's going to happen. And so it, it's one thing when you move when you have little babies, right? You're just like, oh, Lord, I'll go wherever you want me to go. But then when your kids get older, you're like, I don't know, Lord, how's the school system? You know, you kind of do that kind of thing, and you kind of struggle with it, and you wrestle with it. And I want us to wrestle with a passage this morning that is, a, uh, I think, a very difficult one, and I would even say one that is very hard to live by. And I think it's going to be very applicable for us today, because I think most of us struggle with things. I think most of us, even in our Christian walk, we, it, we, have, we have a hard time sometimes living it out and sometimes doing the right things. So let's open up to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to read verses 38 to 42. And this is the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says this, You have heard that it was said, An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now, I read this passage, and I study this, and I'm like, boy, this is sure hard to live by, right? When we reread these things, and we, you know, sometimes we just skip over them, and sometimes we just look, and we're like, how am I, I mean, am I, am I supposed to, what am I supposed to do with this right now? What am I supposed to do with this? And I think what Jesus is trying to show us here is another way to live. He's trying to show his readers, hey, there's another way to, to live. There's another way to love this out, to, to be this type of person. Now, and, and, and here's the thing about it. He says, you have heard that it was said. You have heard that it was said. Six times he says this in chapter 5. Six times in that chapter. He's saying, hey, you've heard this said. Now, who, who did they hear this from? They heard it from the Pharisees. They heard it from the religious leaders of the day. You've heard this from them. And there's a problem. Because yet they were teaching this stuff. They weren't necessarily living by this. So there was an issue. In Matthew 5, you'll see part of the issue here. In Matthew 5, verse 20. He says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is showing, hey, they're teaching this, but they're not living it. They're teaching a certain way to do it this way, but Jesus is saying, but I don't want you to do it like that. I don't want, don't do what they are doing. Why not? Because they took advantage of the law. They molded it into the way they would want to for their own personal gain and their own self-righteousness. For instance, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth in verse 38. Jesus is quoting the Old Testament. 
He's quoting uh, Exodus 21, 24, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. So it's nothing, nothing new here that they've heard. So they've heard this before. The problem was this. The Pharisee, Pharisees took a verse like this, and they said, hey, if you take my eye, then I'm going to take your head. If you do something to me, then I'm going to retaliate. I'm going to have a revenge on you, right? Now, let me ask you a question. Has anybody here ever been on, in a fender bender? You know what I'm talking about. Someone hits you in your car. Maybe it's just a little bit, right? Maybe it's just a little tap. Maybe it's just a little, just a little nudge, right, where maybe it scratches your car up a little bit. Maybe it's just a little ding here and there. And do you, have you ever gotten out and said, you know what? That's it. That's it. And you pull out your pocket knife, if you have one, you pull out your bike and you go slash their tires. Have you ever done that? Has anybody ever done that? No? Okay, good. I just want to make sure. I want to make sure. I'm like, ah, yes, me. It was me. You know? Ooh. We don't do stuff like that, right? You know? We, we don't work that way. That's not how. But the Pharisees did. The religious leaders of the day did. But they failed to realize that the law was there to control crime. It was there to control revenge. You couldn't just do whatever you want to do if someone hit you in the face or if someone did something. You couldn't just do whatever you wanted. The punishment had to match the crime. So the Pharisees and the religious leaders of that day, they thought, hey, you know what? Since I'm a religious leader, I have the, I have the right to do whatever I want to do. I have the right to do this. And they could determine how to, the law was given and how it was interpreted, which obviously this caused a problem. And if you could imagine, think about how that applies today. Think about how we are in our society, society today. Society is a good example of this, of how our society feels like we have the right to do what we want. We have the right to do this. NFL players feel like they have the right to kneel during the anthem, right? We have the right to say whatever we want on social media to whoever we want without any consequences. We feel like it's our right to do that. Is that right? Sure, we do that. People do that all the time. Now, would we ever think that something like that, that this idea that we have these rights, that it would bleed over into the church, right? Let me, I think it does. How many of you feel like you have certain rights within this church? How many of you feel like you have a right to sit where you're sitting right now? This really worked great in the last service, by the way, because they, you know, they're all in their seats, in their seats. They have the right to that seat, Right? But many of you, you have the right to, you feel like you have the right to your seat, right? You've sat in that seat everywhere you go. I know, I'm looking at you. I know you sit where you sit. I, I know. I, last time I preached was five months ago, however long ago. You're still sitting in the same seat. All right, I know that. Ken Johnson, you moved. I don't know why. You messed me up here, Ken. You know? Next point. Huh? Next point. You understand? Yeah, you know, yeah, he sits there all the time. I know he does. He always does. So, we, but we don't, we do feel that way, right? We feel like we have the right, you know, hey, I, I have the right to say this. I have the right to do that. I should be able to do this. I have the right to do this. We think we have all these rights, folks. We do. But can I just tell you, we don't. We don't. I know we think we do, we, we, but we don't have the, these rights. God has called us to die to ourselves, to die to ourselves. So when we're here as Christians and believers, just because things don't go your way doesn't mean you have the right to say whatever you want. Just because things doesn't go the way you want to, it doesn't mean you can just uh, cause a ruckus. 
You don't have the right to do that. God calls you to die to yourself. And I know that's hard, and it's hard for me to go, oh, I have to die to myself. But Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24 says, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. God says, I want you to slough off the old self and put on the new self. How many of you would say that, hey, a lot of times my old self comes out. Does anybody ever, the old self ever come out? If you're married, you know exactly what I'm talking about, all right? I mean, I've been married 20 years, and the old self comes out, you know, with my wife. It never comes out. She's perfect, okay? I've learned that, all right? Yes. It took me 20 years ago. My wife's perfect. I'm not, okay? That's it. And I mean, it's just one of those things that, uh, that God's going, hey, put on the new self instead. He goes, I want you to live out righteousness and holiness, because really the only right that we should be concerned about is with righteousness. The only right that we should ever be concerned about is with righteousness. You know what I'm saying? Living right before God and others. Living right before God and others. Now, the world needs to see Christians. The world needs to see Central Church living right. The world needs to see it. Carville needs to see it. And, it, and I think what happens is a lot of times we get caught up in all the stuff that goes on and that we forget that we're supposed to be Christians about things and that we're supposed to live a certain way. So what I want us to do here is I want to give four examples and difficult examples that Jesus gives us of how to live right. Look at Matthew 5, verse 39. He says, But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, you might be saying, okay, does this mean that God wants me to be this Christian punching bag? That I'm supposed to just roll over and just take it? I'm supposed to just let someone just hit me all the time? Am I supposed to just, okay, whatever? No, that's not what he's saying. Because here's the thing, I'll just be honest with you here. If someone hits my wife, I am not going to sit there and go, well, sweetie, you know what? What would Jesus do? (laughs) It's not going to happen right? There is no, I hope, no male in this room that's going to go, you know, sweetie, you just should turn the other cheek. <laughs> you know, or whatever. we don't do that. If someone, someone assaults my wife, guess what? David is going to assault them. That's just the way it kind of works, right? And if someone does something to my children, guess what? I'm not going to go, come on, Christian kids, you know, you're supposed to, you know, you're supposed to do this and turn the other cheek. No, I'm going to do something about it. And you should too. You should too. But what is he saying here? What does he mean? How does this apply to our lives today? That word there, resist, means to retaliate. To retaliate. Or to, uh, uh, he's talking about revenge here. Don't take revenge. Do not render evil for evil. And that's what he means when he says to turn the other cheek. So it's like, how am I supposed to, what does this mean to turn the other cheek? Well, if you know what the greatest commandment is to what? Love God and to love people. And I think when you look at this, and also it says in in Matthew 5, you'll see here in a minute, that we're supposed to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. So the first example here is if if you're going to live out right and how to do this, we've got to turn to love and not retaliation. We've got to turn to love. So instead of turning the cheek, turn to love. That's what he's saying here. Turn to love and not retaliation. In those days, it was an absolute insult to be slapped in the face. It was an insult to be slapped in the face. Anybody ever here ever been slapped in the face? It's not very fun, is it? It's not, a, it's not something you go, oh, I look forward to that. 
It's not, I mean, it's just one of those things that it's such an insult. But back then, oh man, it was like the worst thing you could do to someone. If you really wanted to just show an insult and just really get someone, you'd slap them across the face. But instead, Jesus is saying, instead of retaliating or turning to revenge or trying to get even, he's saying, turn the other cheek and turn to love. Ken saying in his book, The Peacemaker, he says this, this verse teaches that Christians should be willing to endure uh, personal injury without retaliation when that injury comes as a direct result of their Christian witness. Think about that. When it's directly to your Christian witness, when it's you are presenting the gospel, when you are trying to live out the Christian walk, when you're trying to, you're doing the things that God is calling you to do. He said, if it's, if it's one of those things, he goes, just learn to turn the other cheek. Don't retaliate. Because it would be very harmful if you think about it in Christianity, if we were out witnessing. Let's just put us all in the same thing. We're all out witnessing, right? We're all going door to door, whatever we're doing. You know, we're out doing the stuff, and, and all of a sudden, we're, you know, we're there, and, and we're, we're witnessing to someone, and all of a sudden, this guy gives us this insult, and he just blah, 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 blah. He starts hitting us hard, and we're just like, ah, what do we do? And all of a sudden, you just karate kick them and whatever and just kick their teeth out, that wouldn't be right. It wouldn't be right. So he's saying, don't retaliate in that way. Don't try to get revenge. Matthew 5 verse 44 says this, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. See, because isn't it interesting that what is the one thing we do when someone tells us something? When, when, we have an, when someone is insulting us, what do we do? We usually want to get the last word in, don't we? I've noticed that even with our kids. Oh, my goodness. We can be all together with our kids. All it takes is one kid to say one thing in our family. One thing. All you got to do is say one thing. And all of a sudden, it is just like cage fighting all of a sudden in the house, you know? is They're just, ah, uh, you said this and she said that, and oh my goodness, all this is beginning to happen. And they were like, oh my goodness, what do we do now? We're trying to break them apart. You know, we're spraying water on them. We're like, ah, get away, you know? <laughs> but we typically want to get the last word. James chapter 3 says, our tongue is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. I was watching recently, I was watching Steve Irwin, the crocodile hunter. You ever seen that guy? Anybody ever seen that guy? Okay, good. So I'm watching this show, I'm watching this Steve Irwin, and he's there, and, he, and he's, he's going after a cobra, all right? It's awesome. He's like, I'm going to go after this cobra, and you know, whatever. he's talking Australian. I can't talk Australian. And he's going after this thing, and, and all of a sudden, this cobra pops up out of, this, out of the woods, and he's like, oh, you know, this thing. And here he is. He's like sitting there doing this little dance with his cobra and all this. And he's just like, oh, you know, all this stuff. And he's like, you've got to really watch out for it, because, you know, I never know what it might do. And all of, a sudden, all of a sudden, this cobra spits venom in his face. I mean, it was like, it was kind of awesome because you're like, ooh, I wonder what happened to him. You know what I mean? It's pretty bad, you know? And he's like, oh, and he's like, oh, no, no. He, get, he grabs a bottle of water. He's like, oh, this was bad. This is bad, you know? It, it's going to burn my face and burn my eyes and all this stuff. And he's pouring water over his head. And he's like, oh. So you think, right? Oh, he's just going to walk away, right? A snake just spit in your eye with deadly venom that your eyeballs are probably going to fall out, right? But oh, no, no. What does Steve Irwin do? 
oh, let's go back after it again. So he goes in there, and he, this, is, this, is his, uh, this is his way to help the spit not get in his eye. He puts on some sunglasses. Oh, he's brilliant, right? So he puts on sunglasses, and he's like, oh, look, look at this deadly cobra. It could kill me right away, you know, kind of thing. And he's looking at it, and all this. guess what the cobra does? Spits at him again, right? So he spits venom in his face again. And he goes, aha, I've got glasses. But yet he's in here pouring water over his head. He's like, oh, it's starting to burn. It's starting to burn. And I was thinking about, I was like, thinking like, isn't that how we do that? Even in our Christian walk, someone spits venom at us, and what do we want to do? We go right back into it. We want to say something back. We want to go right back and go, bam, I want to say something and retaliate. That's what the tongue does. Romans 12, verse 17 and 18 says this, Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it is, depends on you. Live peaceably with all. Live peaceably with all. You see, church, the right thing to do is to turn to love. The right thing to do is to be kind and honorable and peaceable towards others. That's the right thing to do. And you may be asking right now, well, what about the person that's saying the insult? When are they going to get what they deserve? Romans 12, 19 tells us the answer. It says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. You leave it in God's hands is what you do. And that's difficult. I realize that. You see, we are to turn to love instead of insults. We are turned to love instead of retaliation. But the second point, look at Matthew 5, verse 40. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let them have your cloak as well. Well, how am I supposed to understand that? Number two, show unexpected love. Let me unpack that for you. Show unexpected love. In those days, you could sue someone who, had, who basically had nothing but the shirt on their back, and you could sue them for their clothes, believe it or not. You could sh- sue them for their tunic, which was like a long shirt, kind of like a dress. Uh, you could sue them if they had nothing. So you could take them to court, sue that person. He's got to take it. He's got to take it off. Here you go. The guy's walking around basically with hardly nothing on now. He's walking around. But then he says they could also sue you, if necessary, for your cloak, which would be kind of like a coat. But the problem was this. The law made it possible that if they take your cloak or the coat, they had to bring it back before the nighttime, before nighttime. Why is that? Because it was cold back then. You had to have, they had to have something to keep warm. So he's saying essentially, hey, look, if they take this from you, give them this as well. If they take this, give them this as well. So Jesus is speaking about literally being sued and not just being robbed, but genuinely being sued. So instead of trying to get revenge, so hey, how would we do it? Typically in the world today is, hey, if you see, sue me, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to sue you. If you do something to me, then I'm certainly going to do something back to you. But Jesus is saying, no, give more, do the unexpected. Do the unexpected. This does not mean that, hey, if you're wrongly being sued, that you can't defend yourself, because you've got to defend yourself. That have, that's normal, okay? That's a biblical thing. You have to defend yourself. But here's the thing. He's not sitting there saying, just, you know what, just, just you know, 
just take it in the sense that he goes, if you are genuinely being sued, do the thing that is so unexpected they would never expect from a person. Because they would expect you to do what? To have some type of retaliation, some type of revenge, some type of suing. But Christian living means you show unexpected love. You do the right thing. Matthew 5, 16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So if someone is suing you for this, then you give them more. If someone is trying to take this, you give them more. You do the unexpected thing. Number three, you go further with love. Look what he says in Matthew 5, verse 41. He says, If anyone forces you to go one mile, Go with him two miles. You see, Roman soldiers back then, they could ease, this is what they could do. They could go up to anybody, any Jew that was walking around, any Jew that was working, they could go up to the Jew and go, hey, I want you to carry my things. I want you to carry all my gear, and, and you have to walk with them a mile. That was the law. So you can imagine for a moment, a Roman soldier was not very well liked. He was, they were hated. Because you could just be doing your job, doing whatever you're, whatever you're doing, and all of a sudden someone can come up to you and go, hey, pick my things up and bring it. And walk with me for a mile. What is Jesus saying? Go an extra. Go further with love. See, as Christians, are we willing to go and to show the love of Christ? Are we willing to do what is right? Are we willing to do what is good? Are we willing to go the extra mile with someone? for our bosses, for our friends, our family, maybe our church. Because see, our natural tendency is to do what? To just go so far, isn't it? We only want to go so far many times in our Christian walk. Well, if someone forces me to do it, then I, I'm not going to go all the way with it. I'm not going to do anything better for them, right? That's how we live our lives. If our bosses are not very nice and they are not very, they're mean to us, and then all of a sudden we're like, well, you know what? I'm just going to do a bad job then. That's how our mindset a lot of times goes, right? You're going to go to work this week, right? Some of you. You're going to go to work this week, and guess what? Your boss is probably going to be a jerk, right? Anybody here have a boss that's a jerk? Yeah, like three of y'all, yeah. Three of y'all. Well, that's good. Then that's pretty awesome that your boss is not a jerk. But here's what's going to happen. You're going to go there, and maybe that day that boss is not going to be very nice to you. And you're going to think, well, I'm not going to do anything further for him. I'm not going to help them out in any other way, even though they're forcing me. to. I'm just going to go just so far as I have to go. I can remember when I was, when I was an intern at, at Prestonwood a long time ago. I remember, man, it was horrible. I mean, I love being there, but there was one time they made us do this. They got all the interns in this one room, and they had this huge campaign, and they were building this big building, and we had to try to get all this money. And all of a sudden, they say, okay, interns, we need to get y'all in here. You need to be there. And, man, we're all there. And all of a sudden, they pulled in there hundreds and thousands of envelopes, big envelopes, hundreds of them. And then we had to get pens out and write all these addresses. We had to lick stamps. I cannot tell you how many stamps I licked, okay? I mean, I thought I was going to die, okay? I mean, I remember going home and telling Julia, I said, I cannot believe I'm an intern. I'm going to be in the ministry. And all I'm doing right now is licking stamps. 
and licking envelopes and, you know, closing them up and then putting them on the stack. And when we did this for hours and days and days and days, it was thousands of these envelopes. But I can remember as an intern, we're all sitting there and we're all just griping and complaining and we're just hating our bosses. We're just angry and we're bitter and we're just like, we should quit. We should all quit right now and show them that, ha ha, you can't do this to us. Or whatever. You know, we kinda, we're, you know, we're in our 20s. We're thinking that way. But I realized after years of being in the ministry that God wants us to go a little bit further. That God wants us to go that extra mile. That it's okay to do certain things. It's a, I realized really quickly in ministry, it's okay to clean a toilet and to clean a bathroom and to clean the kitchen and to do things like that. It's okay. Because God wants us to go a little bit further, a little bit extra. I don't ever want to feel, and I hope you never want to feel, that, oh, I'm too good for this. Because we're not. We're not too good for this. God wants us to go and do the right thing to do the right thing. And I know a lot of times, you know, even though we're trying to do the right thing, you know what we're doing also? We're also thinking all this evil stuff that we can do to our bosses, right? We're thinking of all these kind of things to do. But Romans 12, 21 says, do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by what? With good. Do the right thing. Do what is good. Number four, Matthew 5, verse 42 says this, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Fourth point is this, the living right, give out of love. This point forces us to look at generosity at a whole new way, to look at generosity in a whole different way. Does our love prove that we are generous? Does our love prove that we are a generous people? Jesus is not saying that to give all your money away and to neglect your own family. He's not saying that. But he is simply saying this. He's saying, be generous with those that don't have anything. Be generous with those who need help. And it may be somebody in this church. It may be somebody outside this church. But God wants us to be generous. He wants us to let people borrow stuff. Just recently, while I was working on some stuff, and uh, my father-in-law said, you need an angle grinder. I think that's what it's called, an angle grinder. And I didn't know what that was. Uh, but I called up a buddy of mine from this church, and I said, hey, do you have an angle grinder? I need an angle grinder. And he goes, yes, I have an angle grinder, and you can borrow it. No hesitation. I don't even know what an angle grinder is at the time. But it's just this little thing. He goes, yes, you can borrow it. And they showed me, told me a little bit how to use it and all that stuff so I don't like cut a finger off or whatever. And so I used it and I fixed it, uh, did the, the work that I needed to do at the house and ended up getting it all fixed. But I was thinking, this person just gave me and let me borrow their thing. Just like that. Is anybody here, do you just let people borrow stuff? Anybody? None of y'all. Okay. We need to work on that one, okay? We need to work on that, all right? It's okay to let people borrow stuff. It's all right. God wants us to, 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 if someone asks, let them borrow it. It's a good thing. We shouldn't turn from the needy people. We shouldn't turn from people who need stuff, especially if we have it. We should give out of love. We shouldn't hold on to our possessions so tightly that we never give things away. We should never hold on to things where we're just like, no, no, it's mine. It's mine. We should never be that way. We figure, uh, boy, we've seen our children do this, and you've seen this. Man, if our children, especially the little ones, man, they can be playing with a ball of lint, 
Okay, I'm telling you, it could be a ball of lint. And if Red is like playing with this ball of lint, if he walks away just for a second from that ball of lint, okay, it's just a ball of lint. It's, there's nothing there. It's pretty gross, right? But he's playing with it. He's doing something with it. He's juggling it with it. And then if he walks away and then someone, and then all the other kids take it, oh my goodness. All of a sudden, it's World War III in the LeBlanc house because why? Over a ball of lint. Because he doesn't want to give it up and she doesn't want to give it up. And now they're fighting over a ball of lint. If you have kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But we should be willing to give. This is something that we tell our kids all the time. Hey, be generous. Give. It's okay. Let them have it. It's okay. But if someone wants to borrow, let them borrow. We should not hold on so tightly to our possessions. We shouldn't. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7 says this. Each one must give as he has decided in his own heart not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. He loves a cheerful giver. So think about it like this, church. How do you wrap this in a ball? First of all, you turn to love and not retaliation. To live right, you turn to love and not retaliation. You show unexpected love to those that are around you. You go further with love. You go further. You go that extra mile and then you give out of love. You hang, hang loosely to, your, to the possessions that you have, and you give. So here's how I want us to look at this in closing. Jesus never retaliated. He never retaliated, but he turned to love. Think about that for a moment. Jesus never retaliated, but he turned to love. Jesus had nothing, but he gave everything. Jesus went further all the way to the cross. He went further all the way to the cross. Jesus gave his life so that we could have life. Think about that for a moment. How do you apply those things to your life today? How do you take that and go, how am I supposed to live this? Because the only way to live right is to live like Jesus Christ. The only way to live is to live like Christ. And I know it's hard and I know it's difficult, but God has called us to do that. God has called us to live that way. And he wants us to live that way. Thank you, Central. Thank you for being a blessing to us. Thank you for all the many faces I know here. Thank you so much for loving our family. We love you and we appreciate it. And uh, I'm going to pray. And then we'll uh, go to the next thing. Father, thank you again for your word, Father, how it impacts us, Lord. Thank you so much, Lord, that we can come and we can worship you today here at Central. Father, thank you, Lord, that, Lord, uh, the band and everyone that's here, Lord, they give uh, selflessly, Lord, of their time and their efforts, Lord, and we thank you for that. Thank you, everyone here that gives, Lord, all the time, Lord. We thank you for that. But Lord, we want to just thank you, Lord, and give you the glory for all that you've done in our lives. I want you to bless Central, Father. I want you to anoint it, Father, and keep your hand upon it, Lord. And Father, I pray, Lord, that as you continue to work in in Central's life to be with the uh, transition team and the elders and the staff, Lord, that, Lord, you would just begin to do a great work in them, Father, so that we can do a great work in our community, Lord. Father, we love you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.